right, good morning. Happy Juneteenth and a happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Um, sweet to be together this morning. Uh, invite you to pray with me as we get into God's word. Uh, Father, we come to you and we, first of all, just thank you um, for the way that you invite us to approach you in prayer as, as our Heavenly Father. And we thank you for the parent-child relationships that we get to experience, um, albeit they're broken to a certain extent by sin, but also we get to see a little glimpse of just how you feel about us and how much you love us and the delight that you feel for us. And we just pray that we would be aware of your spirit um, this morning, aware of your presence with us, that you would speak to us through your word, and uh, we're just grateful for you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so real quick before we jump into the passage, today is not necessarily like a Father's Day message. We're continuing on through Acts. But one thing that I had read earlier this week, and I thought it was good, um, this guy uh, had written, he said, you know, a lot of times when we think about Father's Day, we kind of think of, if we think of an image, we're kind of thinking of, you know, the dad with the little kid up in the air kind of thing or playing with his, you know, two-year-old son kind of thing or little daughter. And, um, and that's great. That's totally true. That's, that's where fathers uh, start, right? That's how we get our start as dads, as with little kids. Um, but he said, he said the better way to think about Father's Day is think of a grandpa surrounded by his grandkids. That's what, father, that's what being a father is about right? It's about leaving a legacy, um, building into kids who will one day be parents of hopefully grandkids and that kind of thing. And so anyway, um, I know I am extremely blessed. I was talking to my dad on the phone this morning. He's actually, he's preaching at another church today. And, um, and then one of my younger brothers is also preaching at the church that he's uh, part of. And uh, so that was kind of funny uh, that that lined up. But I was just talking to my dad this morning and, um, and just thanking him for his impact on my life. And, uh, and so we just spent some time encouraging each other and praying for one another. And, and it was just really sweet. So love you, dad. He won't see this till later, but I, I love you now. And I love you when you're watching this. Okay. Um, <clears throat> uh, so we're going to jump into our passage for the day in Acts chapter eight. And uh, I'm just going to read, we're just going to read the first Three verses, and I just want to prep prep us a little bit before we dive in. Is that it's, the the message today is um, is maybe just a little bit heavy, okay? And so I just want I just want you to recognize that, and we're gonna we're gonna walk through this together. Um, but I also think there's some important stuff that God has for us, and and so anyway, let's let's jump in. We're just gonna read the first three the three verses. Um, which will be a good change of pace after we did like 60 last week. So we're just going to do three verses out of Acts today. It says, There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. 
So the last couple of chapters we've gone through was kind of this whole saga of Stephen being taken into trial um, and, uh, and ultimately stoned to death. And so then we jump in here and kind of see this is this kind of sets off this heavy persecution that the church begins to experience. Obviously, they're lamenting um, the loss of a dear brother in Christ. And I think that, you know, what what could happen is that it, it would be easy, and I think it's often easy when we're reading the Bible, or, or honestly, this just happens in life in general. We read something in the Bible, and this is like an extremely difficult situation, but it's so easy for this to get sterilized a little bit. And we kind of miss the humanity behind what's happening and the way that this experience, or the way that, that these situations are experienced. And, um, and, you know, like we hear statistics, right? And it's just statistics. And it's like, oh, that's really sad. Like, you know, a million people died from whatever. And it's like, oh, wow, that's awful. So anyway, what's for lunch? And it's kind of like that sometimes as we go through scripture. And scripture gives us very real, raw account of like what actually happens in human existence and it's easy to move past it. And honestly, like, not, I think not in a bad way, but often even, you know, just the kind of the picture that we're able to get of these things in a, in a, in a situation like this, like on a Sunday morning in a message, it's kind of like in most sermons you hear, it's kind of like, okay, here's the tension, here's something really hard. And then we'll move through that in about 30 minutes. And then, or, you know, depending on who's preaching, maybe 40, 45, 50 minutes. And then, you know, we'll get to the end and it's like, and here's this hope and this is why it's all okay. And so, yeah, okay, let's leave. Woohoo. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's great. But sometimes I think doing that causes us to miss the reality of there's real difficulty and pain in our lives. And it doesn't resolve in 45 minutes. And what do we do with that? How do we deal with these difficult situations? I mean, for us, we read this in three verses, but like, imagine if, you know, somebody who you really care about, somebody, a part of our church family here was just killed last week for, for following Jesus. And then all of a sudden we start hearing about so-and-so got taken to jail and so-and-so just got taken to jail and who's going to take care of their kids and who's going who's to jump in and this person is now in jail and we need to help this person out. And that would be extremely difficult, more than probably what some of us can even kind of wrap our minds around. It's, it's, it's hard and it's difficult and it happens in three verses. And so um, what I want ourselves to do is, is I think in a, in a healthy way, um, just to, to pause and dwell for a moment on the reality of there is suffering and hurt and pain in the world that we experience. And what do we do with that? Because we're, we're the church, right? And although we may not be in the same situation as the early church, regardless, we all will experience difficulty in life. And it's something that Jesus promised to his disciples. You in this world, you will have trouble. And so what do we do with it though? Because we can acknowledge this, that's the reality, but as we're walking through it, it feels a lot different. And it's easy in a church service to be like, oh yeah, that's hard. And then, you know, but God is good. And that's great. It's that's so true, but it's different when we're actually walking through it, isn't it? It's one thing to acknowledge the truth of who God is in a church service. And, and again, I think that is so good. We need to do that and we'll keep doing that. 
But we also need to acknowledge that the other six days of the week, like how do we walk through this with Jesus? And how do we do this together as a body? So at this point uh, in Acts, I imagine that the people who are uh, part of the early church, they're experiencing a lot of different emotions. Uh, There's probably fear, grief, confusion, anxiety, doubt. They're asking questions like, "Um, why God? Everything was going so great. And now everything is just seems like everything's getting flushed down the toilet. What are we doing wrong? Is this even worth it? (laughs) Is this even worth it anymore? Does God, God, do you care? Why would he let something like this happen? We're seeing all these miracles and all these people being healed, but he can't keep us out of prison. He couldn't prevent Stephen from dying. You know, these are hard things. And we all ask these kind of questions in times of suffering. And maybe that's going on for some of us right now. Maybe we've got some real stuff in our life that's extremely difficult. And we're asking some of these same questions right now. You know, financial hardship, medical issues, relational strife, you know, all these different things in life that we may deal with. And they're a reality for us and they're a consistent part of our life. And they come up over and over and over again. And so the Bible, what I want to focus on today is that the Bible gives us a way through these through these experiences, through an act called lament. It's something that the Bible gives us, that God gives us in his word, that it's a way to interact with God and walk through uh, seasons of difficulty. So we're going to do kind of a quick flyover of this idea of lament. The first thing I want to highlight is that lament is something... In the biblical context, it's something that's uniquely Christian because it's this language of the reality that we're in of now, but not yet, of this place of being in between, right? So we, that's, that's how we live as Christians. We live in this now, but not yet reality where we're saved from the penalty of our sin, right? We've been justified before God. So we've been saved from the penalty of our sin, We're being saved day by day from the power of sin over our lives by the Holy Spirit sanctifying us. So past, we've been saved from the the penalty. Present, we're saying being saved uh, from the power of sin. And then the not yet part is there is a day coming where we will be saved and set free from the very presence of sin. Sin will be no more. But we live in this in-between moment where Jesus is actively redeeming sinful people. And so he has not yet removed the presence of sin. And so we have this hope. We know that Jesus will finish what he started, but it's not completed yet. And we live in the pain of a sinful world. And lament is the language to express that reality, that we have hope, but we also experience pain. And so... I think what, when, when it comes to the way that we generally tend to deal with pain and difficulty in our life, I think most people tend to swing between kind of two extremes. So on one side, um, how does this look on the screen? Can you go to the next thing? So I don't even, the focus, yeah. So if you look on a continuum, 
we tend to be on kind of one of these two extremes. We either focus on our pain or we just ignore it completely. And so what does that look like? And when we, when we focus on our pain, uh, it, it tends to be this, this place of, it's an, it's an unhealthy fixation on the pain where my, my pain almost becomes my identity. This is who I am. And this is the biggest problem that I need to solve in my life. And so uh, the way that this can sometimes be expressed is through, you know, complaining and bitterness, um, through, you know, sometimes like a want for revenge or kind of this entitlement, like I deserve this because I've experienced this or a kind of a victim mentality. Um, and and that, that tends to be some of the ways that we express this place of focusing on our pain, making that kind of the focus of our life. And then on the other extreme that we can swing to is this place of just flat out ignoring pain where we kind of pretend that it doesn't exist at all. Or we detach from reality. Some, some of the ways that this can present itself is through, you know, excessive entertainment, playing lots of video games, watching, you know, binging movies or Netflix, whatever, uh, workaholism, substance abuse, overeating, pornography. These kind of things tend to be ways that we ignore pain. We try to medicate and detach from the reality of pain in our life. Hopefully no one feels too called out yet this morning. <laughs> Maybe I do a little bit, right? We tend to experience both of these things, honestly. We'll kind of swing from one to the other. And we'll be on the, we'll maybe really folk, and, and we probably all have a tendency to, like kind of a first, when we first experience something that's difficult, something that's painful, we all have a different tendency on how that we tend to respond and maybe we'll swing to both of these extremes. But the reality is this, neither of these things can solve the reality of the pain that we feel. Neither one of these help. It doesn't help to focus on the pain to make that my identity. It just makes me this old hunched over, crotchety, bitter, angry person. And if I ignore my pain, I just become addicted to fill in the blank. And both of them lead me to actually more pain and more unhealth. So we might swing between the two to try to find some kind of relief, but neither work. <clears throat> so what do we do? And I'll just say too, I think often uh, the Christian response, and not, not always in the, in the vein of addiction necessarily, but often the Christian response is ignoring pain. And we sort of, we sort of detach ourselves from the reality of pain and not, not, not in a healthy way, in an unhealthy way. We ignore the reality of difficulty in life because honestly, we're scared. <laughs> we're scared to face the reality. We're scared to face what, what would this mean? What kind of doubts would this bring up? What kind of ways could this shake my faith? And so we sort of just try to ignore those things and say, well, God is good. And again, which that is a true statement. It's not false. But in an unhealthy way, we ignore our pain and thus miss what God might want to do or heal inside of us. So lament gives us this path to courageously face our pain in the presence of someone, God, who can actually do something about it. That we face our pain in his presence and we bring our pain to God as the one who can alter reality. He's the one who can heal our wounds. He's the one who can raise the dead. It's a way to actually move through pain and difficulty. 
So next, another thing to highlight this morning is that lament is choosing to receive God's best through pain and through trials. So lament is a way to trust that God works all things together for good. It's, it's a verse that we probably quote to ourselves often, and it's a hard one to believe sometimes. But often I think we hold on so tightly to our pain or we try to manage it ourselves by focusing on it or ignoring it, medicating it, that we miss God's heart for us. We miss the relationship he wants to have with us, his nearness, his love, and his strength in the middle of difficulty. See, when we recognize God, we ask him for help rather than just trying to manage it ourselves. It actually begins to open up our heart to receive what God has for it, for us. And often we're so afraid of our pain and afraid of how God might handle it. We kind of hold it like this and we're closed fist. And so when we come, at, come to God and we just say, God, look, this is awful. I don't know what to do. That's kind of the beginning of starting to experience his comfort. And we become attentive to his voice and we start to be able to gain some of his perspective. Another thing about lament is that it's choosing to trust that God is sovereign and good. Again, these are things that we say all the time. Sometimes we use them as kind of pat answers on somebody else's pain and they're going through like a hard time and it's like, oh, God's in control. He's good. It's like, yeah, that's great. That's true, but it still hurts. And we don't know how to reconcile those things. We don't know how to deal with both realities at the same time. Can they both be true? Yes. And how can we express that through lament? It's an exercise of our faith. See, I think we tend not to bring our pain to God because we don't trust him. We don't trust that he will help. We don't trust that he cares. Or we're just worried that he won't do it the way that I want him to do it. And so I want to maintain control over my situations. And so I don't want to bring it to God because God might say, actually, this is going to be longer than you want it to be. Or I'm not going to just solve the problem just like that right now. And we don't want that, (laughs) rightfully so, because it's painful, but it's hard to trust. And so when we choose to lament, it's a way to tangibly, like actively engage our faith and believe and trust God with the hardest and scariest places of our lives. And lamenting can be also a long process. <clears throat> and, sim- you know, in, 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 the, in the same way that, you know, if, if you've experienced any kind of uh, significant grief in your life, You know that that's not just, you know, you've probably heard of like the five stages of grief or whatever. And it's like, it's not this linear process that it's like, okay, check, 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 check. Now I'm over it. And that's exactly why lament can be a long process is because it lasts for as long as pain is felt. And one season of pain or difficulty may come and go, but inevitably another one will begin. And in the way that we experience that and the way that we feel that, so will we continue to lament. So overall, this idea of lament is a big idea (laughs) with a lot of nuance and there's a lot to be learned uh, and we're not going to become experts today, but I just want to give us a quick overview. And the best place to look is in the Bible because the Bible is full of laments. It's full of them. 
And again, they're not necessarily the ones that make it on, you know, your encouraging Bible calendar you flip every day or like the verse of the day, you know, generally. But I think they can be deeply encouraging to us when we recognize, man, this is just what it looks like to live in a in a messed up world, in a fallen place where we still experience this pain and we're learning to trust Jesus in the middle of it. But I mean, there's literally a book in the Bible called Lamentations written by Jeremiah where he's experiencing all of this incredible, you know, horrible stuff that's happening to the nation of Israel as they're being sent into exile in Babylon Uh, The Psalms are full of them. Job is another, you know, kind of story narrative account of this guy and his friends working out the difficulties of pain. So many places in the prophets, a lot of stuff. And obviously we're, we're pulling this, this place out of Acts. It's all over because this is just part of the reality of human existence. So it's all over the Bible. And, um, and so a couple things as we dive into some, some passages of scripture here that can be kind of a guide for us. Um, so when, when do we lament? The first, the first time I think we can lament is just in seasons of injustice and pain or difficulty like we've been talking about. And really it's this acknowledgement of the world and this life is not how it should be. That we experience things like, you know, somebody close to us, you know, gets cancer and maybe dies. And the whole time you're experiencing it, you're like, it should not be like this. This should not happen. And you can fill in the blank with lots of experiences that you've had in life where you're like, it should not be like this. And I think God agrees with us. (laughs) No, it should not be like this. But this is one place where the Bible speaks to this and gives us, actually gives us language for our doubts, for our pain. It gives us, it it literally gives us a liturgy of words to communicate back to God what it's like. So specifically, we're going to look at Psalm 13 real quick and just, just listen to this. And again, don't let this be sterilized. Okay. Hear this as David is, is writing this and communicating this and, uh, and psalms are a song. I mean, this is, this is emotional, right? Psalm 13, it says, how long, O Lord? Have you ever asked that question? How long? God, I can't, I can't carry this anymore. I'm completely exhausted. And then it's been another year. <laughs> I was exhausted a year ago. How long? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Have you felt these things? I have. David did. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. I mean, this is, this is just stuff that we feel. We maybe don't have this language internally all the time. Sometimes it comes out just like, ah! 
God, help me. God, why? And then David does an interesting thing at the end. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. See, the Bible gives us language of how to deal with the fact that, yes, I understand. And there's this part of me, like both cognitively, I know the information. And then there's also this place in my heart, in my soul, where the Holy Spirit is just affirming in me that, yes, I know God loves me. (laughs) But at the same time, things are so difficult. And you can see that in the cadence of this passage where he brings this pain to God. He says, God, I'm confused. I'm hurt. I don't know why it feels like you don't care. And he asks God for help. He says, light up my eyes. Help me to see, like help me to see what's going on because I don't get this. Give me some perspective. And then in faith kind of beyond what he can see right now, he acknowledges God's goodness. It's like, I'm gonna rejoice. (laughs) I know that you will deal bountifully with me. But it's, it's an act of choosing to trust. God, I don't see it right now, but I know that that's coming and I don't even know what that means. I don't even know how that looks. And again, it's sort of that place like that guy who came to Jesus and Jesus says, do you believe? And he's like, yeah, I believe, but help my unbelief. (laughs) I'm here. (laughs) I'm coming to you because I think you can help, but I also am sort of skeptical still and I don't know. And the the, the reality that's right in front of my face is like so hard to get over. And so as we read this psalm, it's like we, we need to not let it be sterilized. We need to let the, the scripture give us language and recognize that this is not something that we just, you know, methodically recite. It's like, ooh, this is kind of hard. Now I'm going to recite Psalm 13 and then it's going to be better, right? Because that's not how lament works. And that's not what it is, right? See, because this, this kind of thing isn't, We have language for it, but it doesn't always come out this cleanly or with this few expletives. (laughs) See, because these kind of laments, this kind of stuff, this this is prayed through gritted teeth and streaming tears. This is the kind of thing that's prayed next to a hospital bed or standing by a grave or laying on your bathroom floor. We can't let this stuff be sterile because God is giving, trying to give us a way through the reality of life. It's the deep wrestling of a burdened heart and of a person who lives in a world marked and distorted by sin. And it hurts. And so we can grieve and lament the fact that the world is not the way it should be, but we also can ask God to help us in those moments when we don't know how to carry it. And we can choose to say, God, I'm gonna trust you. And I don't even, I don't know how that's gonna work out, (laughs) but I have nowhere else to go. It reminds me of the disciples after Jesus gives some really hard teaching after the feeding of the 5,000, he knows that they're just after a, a Messiah who will just make them feel comfortable. 
And he's like, no, I want to give you eternal life. And everybody's like, ah, that's too hard. And they leave. And even a lot of his disciples walk away and he turns to his 12 disciples and he's like, are you going to leave too? And Peter kind of speaks up for the group and goes, where else are we going to go? You're the only one who has words of eternal life. And I think that is the language of lament. Say, Jesus, I don't know what's going on right now. I don't know why this has to be so hard. I don't know why this situation has to be so broken. But you're the only one that has eternal life. So we can lament when the world is not how it should be. We can also lament in moments of repentance when I recognize I'm not who I should be. Psalm 51, these are just the first two verses of Psalm 51, but it says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. See, we've all been in this place too. <laughs> Recognizing that, wow, I have supremely blown it. I have messed up my life and I have hurt other people and hurt myself. And sin isn't just this out there reality that's messed up the world. It's, it comes from in here. I'm messed up. I do things that are hurtful to myself and other people. And we've got, we carry around those regrets and those scars and as I was talking to my dad this morning, he's like, what are you talking about today? And I was like, actually, I'm talking about lament. And he's like, oh, that's a good Father's Day message. And I was like, yeah, I know. And uh, he's, like, he's like, honestly, he's like, it's probably pretty good because there's a, there's a lot of pain when it comes to fathers. <laughs> there's a lot of difficulty in being a father. <laughs> Things that we have to walk through with our kids. We deal with our own sinfulness. As dads, we felt the effects of the sinfulness maybe of our, of our dads. And so there can be a lot of pain, a lot of regret when it comes to fathers. <clears throat> and there's this beautiful thing that the Bible invites us to do, to say, God, I'm so messed up, but I'm coming to you for mercy. Not because I deserve it, but because of your steadfast love for me your steadfast love for me. Not because of me, not because I deserve it, but because you said that you love me. So I'm going to take that to the bank and I'm going to say, God, would you blot out my sin? Would you change me from the inside out? Would you make me a new person? See, again, this is one of those things that it's hard to face. We tend to just want to ignore this stuff, right? It's not fun to think about, wow, I messed up. And wow, I really said that. I really said a really mean thing to my wife yesterday. And where did that come? Oh yeah, it came from my sinful nature. Not because she did blah, 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 because of me. <laughs> I really blew up at my kids the other day. Why? Not because of them, because of me. See, these are things that are, it's difficult to face some of this stuff and even, even deeper things than that. But when we recognize that the Bible invites us to just not, not to ignore the reality of our sin, 
Not to, not to unhealthfully hyper-focus on it either, but to just bring the reality of it to God. Say, God, I'm messed up, but you say that you love me. You say that your love is never ending, it's unconditional, and I'm gonna take that to the bank and I, and I just ask you to change me, cleanse me from the inside out. Isn't that beautiful? We got to sing that before that Jesus paid it all and that although I was stained, he washed it white as snow. That's a beautiful thing that we have in the gospel <clears throat> and that just the truth of what we desperately need from Jesus. All right, let's com- continue. Just, just real quick, um, I also want to point out that lament is, is, is something that's just part of our human existence. It's something that Jesus also stepped into. Jesus also lamented. The shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. So there's a good memory verse for you. But even Jesus lamented in Luke 22. Obviously, like the the time we see this most poignantly is as he is going to the cross. And so we see this in Luke 22. He goes out to the Mount of Olives with his disciples. um, And he came to the place and he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. When he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, he knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Do you see the lament that's happening there? Father, I don't like that it's got to be this way, but I trust you. If there's another way, if there was an easier way, I'd take it, but I understand this is the way it's got to be, and I trust you. And I mean, this was, this was intense. I, we can't... We can't the, the kind of pain and suffering that we go through, it doesn't compare to what Jesus is experiencing here. Because again, even thinking about our own personal sin, we feel crushed under the weight of the burden of the things that we've done wrong and the, the wrong that's been done directly to us and has affected us personally. We feel crushed by that stuff. Jesus is literally at this moment, he's, he's carrying the sins of the entire world. <laughs> every wrong thing that's been done throughout all of human history. I mean, this is, this is crushing kind of weight that Jesus is like, man, this is really, 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 really hard. We don't have a, any kind of category to begin to understand what that was like. But you see, you know, again, in the, that's why in the, in, the, in the garden here, it says that he was sweating like drops of blood. I mean, that's incredible, incredible stress and that he was under. And you can just imagine the lament. And then again, on the cross, um, we, uh, we see in the gospels that Jesus quotes at least this first line of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Many people think that he may have quoted more of it, but he was at least for sure he was specifically quoting this Psalm. And so whether he, whether he said more, I don't know. He was on the cross. It probably would have been difficult to, to say more than that. But just to read on in this psalm and just to, just to recognize the kind of thing that Jesus was saying while he was on the cross, he said, said my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. 
In you they trusted and were not put to shame. And again, it, it continues on. There's a lot more to that psalm. But you can see that even Jesus, I mean, he was called in, in, uh, in the prophets a, a man of sorrows. He's well acquainted with our grief. So a lot of this stuff, and, and, and again, we don't have time to get into like why suffering and all the dynamics of all of that. But one of the things that we can be sure of is that God does not take our suffering lightly. But actually Jesus stepped into it with us. And you can see even in the, the words of Psalm 22, again, another, another um, or just more words for our lament to, to just acknowledge, God, I feel, like, I feel like there's no relationship here. I feel like you've completely turned your back on me. I, 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 it's, hard to, it's hard to trust that you even can hear me right now. But I know that you're holy. And I know that you've been faithful in the past. <laughs> I know that you came through for other people who have been in similar situations. And so I'm going to trust you. So ultimately in Acts, we see that God uses the persecution and the scattering of the church. Like basically like just in the next verse, it talks about how, you know, the, how they begin to preach everywhere they go. And so it's like, great, that's awesome. That's cool. Like we get, we get, when we read the scripture, we get the big view. We get the long view of that there was some good that God was doing even in the middle of their persecution. But we don't always have that bigger perspective when we are personally going through suffering. And in the midst of it, the Bible gives us um, this act of lamenting. And Again, ultimately, our hope is not just in seeing how is God going to make this better right now? Like, how is God going to fix this situation right now? That's not where we put our hope. Because if that's where we put our hope, we're going to be disappointed. And in fact, we're settling for something that's way less than God's dream for us. Because lament doesn't end when, you know, the situation that's difficult is over. You know, I get that, that the news that the cancer's still gone. Woohoo! Like that's, that's great. That's exciting. That's not the end of my lament though, is it? Because there's other difficulty. There's other pain. The end of lament is here. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's our hope. That is our hope. That is the world, that new earth. That is the world where we'll finally be like, this is what it was supposed to be like. And God's like, yes, exactly. This is why Jesus is like, this, I, I am going to prepare a place for you. In this world, you will have trouble. I'm going to prepare a place for you. That is our hope. 
That is why lament is uniquely Christian because it's not about us having this thing of like, oh, God will make my situations better. Sometimes they won't get better. We've lost many friends and family members to sickness, but there's a place where sickness is no more. We've had countless, you know, lost nights of sleep over relational strife. There is a place where God's love and unity reigns over all of us. Like all of these things that we long for will be made whole and will find their ultimate fulfillment with God. And that, and, and I, I was talking with Amber Lynn about this um, because we need to encourage each other with this regularly, Right? And as we face difficult situations in life and we see people around us who are dealing with deep pain and you feel that with them. And it's like, man, this is hard. This doesn't make sense. We have to remind ourselves that it's like, man, this is not, this is not God's final plan. And it's like, we can, I think we should, we should pray. We should ask God to move. We should ask God to, to heal and to restore. And we should ask God to do all those things. But ultimately, any healing that we experience now is temporary. Any, any restoration we experience now is just temporary. It's, it's, it's a sign of what is to come. The ultimate healing that we receive in the presence of God when we're dwelling with him in the place that we were created for. And it's not just, you know, just, it's not just like floating around in heaven, you know, little diaper angels strumming a harp, right? This is like a new earth. Us living as physical beings, <laughs> the way that God created us to, bearing his image fully, not marked by sin anymore, like actually just filled with joy and delight. You know, that was what the Garden of Eden, Eden means delight. Just filled with delight in God's presence enjoying one another. When's the last time you enjoyed somebody else? <laughs> enjoying one another in God's presence. This is, this is God's plan for us. And this is the hope that we have in Jesus. And this is the not yet, right? But soon. So real quickly, I'm gonna have the band come up just to give us some quick handles on this. Okay, so I'm going to put this on the screen. This is in, this is in the message notes too. If you look that up on your in uh, on the app or whatever, um, but this is just a template for lament, and so this this might just be helpful for some of us. That it's like, especially I, I need stuff like this um, to help me <laughs> when I'm just like I want to lament. I don't even know where to start. I'm so messed up right now. I don't even know what to do. And so it's just a simple thing to turn to God. So just, again, God, right? That's where it starts. God, oh God. <laughs> so we turn to God and then we bring our complaint. We're like, God, this is awful. This doesn't make any sense. I can't deal with this. And we just got to be honest and you can be raw. And I think it actually helps you know, it's, it's not healthy to just say everything you think to another person. Like that can be really hurtful. To God, you can say whatever you want. He can handle it. He understands. He sees your heart.
Okay, you don't have to be nuanced. You don't have to be like, God, I know that this shouldn't be this hard. You just be like, God, help. This is horrible. I don't understand. This is awful. In fact, I'm mad at you. I'm mad at life. I'm mad at myself. I'm mad at that person. And just be honest, be real. And let me just tell you, if you'll just do that, and you might need to be in your car or somewhere where nobody else can hear you. But if you could just do that, I promise you, just expressing that will help you gain a level of clarity that you didn't have before. Not, it won't make it all okay. It'll just give you a little more clarity. Okay, just to say it out loud. But then you just ask boldly for help. God, you say that you will provide for me. That's on you. Help. God, you say that you love me and you'll forgive me. Do it. I can't do it. I need you to do it. Help me. And then lastly, choose to trust. God, I can't see the end and I'm trusting you. I don't know how you're going to do it. I'm going to trust you. That's what we, that's all we can do. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is for little children. Because <laughs> little kids know how to trust. They don't have to know all the details. They just say, oh, that's, it's going to be okay. So if this, if this kind of what we were looking at this morning, if this, God's stirring some stuff in you and you want a little bit more, um, you want to go a little deeper, I encourage you just to read through Psalms. Again, you can, you can go back to some of these Psalms we already looked at today, Psalm 13, Psalm 51, Psalm 22. Um, and there's a lot, lot more of Psalms of Lament that, and some of them don't have this nice bow tied up on the end. Some of them are just all like, God, this is horrible. Kill my enemies. And they, they just kind of end like that. And some of you, it's like, that's my Psalm for today. <laughs> but just read through the Psalms. Allow the Bible to give you language to, to interact with God in difficulty. And then um, that, uh, that template for lament uh, is taken straight, stolen straight from this guy, Mark Vrogrop. He's a, he's a pastor uh, who wrote a book called Deep Cloud, or Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. It's a book that takes a deep dive um, into lament that would be a helpful resource if God's stirring some of this stuff up in you and you want to go deeper. Um, let's pray and then we'll respond uh, in worship. Jesus, we, um, again, we just come to you and uh, we just acknowledge, I mean, there's so much that can't be said <laughs> in a time like this. There's, there's just not time. But we thank you for your Holy Spirit that you fill us and you go with us. You teach us, you help us. And we are just dependent on you. And even as we sing right now, would you just be speaking to us and solidifying some things in our hearts? Would you be stirring up our faith, helping us to turn to you even now? Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship together.